Welcome to the Sunday Service Podcast of First Universalist Church, a Unitarian Universalist congregation located in Minneapolis, Minnesota. We are a radically welcoming and progressive religious community deeply committed to love, justice, spiritual growth, and living out our values in the world. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org. Good morning. It's so good to be together today. I know that we have all been making adjustments and accommodations because of the pandemic and that many of us were not able to travel or be with family members during this um, th this past weekend and that's hard. So it's good that we're here together to remind ourselves that we're not alone and that we share our joys and struggles in community. Last week, we debuted a new feature, our virtual order of service. And I'm gonna ask John to share that in the chat right now, there's a link. This will help you follow along, thank you, John. This will help you follow along with our service. And it also has some links and information for those of you pre-registered in small groups or want to connect with Gail and Joan this morning as care companions. So please do use that link to access the information, which will also be available on our website and in the closing slide this morning. So today we are rebroadcasting a service that was offered by the UUA last week called Thanksgiving Reframed. I was really grateful and I learned so much when I watched this service last week as I was deciding how to frame a conversation around Thanksgiving that helps us understand the parts that we are responsible for as we try to take more responsibility in a racial justice sense for our heritage and for the way that we engage in, um, in this conversation. So what I really love about the service is that it centers indigenous voices and that it really helps us understand how we in particular as Unitarian Universalists have been a part of the mythology of the original Thanksgiving um, gathering. And I, I, I think it's really valuable for us to know this. I learned a lot. I hope that you do too. So I hope that in that spirit of wanting to learn something new and engage, um, you find something valuable. And I look forward to speaking with you in the fellowship hour about what, what struck you and what was powerful for you about this worship service. So I'm going to invite us to take a couple deep breaths, settle in into our bodies. <sighs> if it's comfortable for you, I invite you to sigh on the exhale. <sighs> and one more time. <sighs> All right, let us begin. It makes me feel like I, I'm back 
Thompson with a with the trees where we're supposed to be. It, you can't get better than that. at a very young age. Um, the Indian way, the way we teach our children, the way they learn, the way we pass on our culture, our traditions, it's handed down through oral history and also by demonstration. Our children are little mimics and they mimic everything that we do. So when we come out in a circle and we do these dances, we do them as a family. in the world like getting back to your homeland. Sometimes you just can't find words for it. Because that's how that's how powerful the feeling is. For our call to worship for today. As Unitarian Universalists, we are called to examine the Thanksgiving myth the white Anglo-Saxon Protestant Congregationalists who feature as of the protagonists in the first Thanksgiving are our theological ancestors. We are called to know our history. The first Thanksgiving was a celebration of white supremacy over what was termed the ravages of the savages we cannot dismantle white supremacy in our faith without learning the full history of what happened between the Mayflower settlers and the Wampanoag. We cannot dismantle white supremacy in our faith without questioning the theology that guided our ancestors and still shapes the way we behave in the world today. We cannot dismantle white supremacy without doing what the Bible forbade us to do, namely to learn from our indigenous relatives and to give thanks for the interdependence. So let's know that we are all swept here on the river of history. The river is shaped by the religious principles our ancestors once espoused. Today, we worship in ways that our Mayflower ancestors might not recognize, but we remember the principle of supremacy in our bodies. The familiar implications of their beliefs sweep us forward unconsciously, and the pull of this cultural current is strong. A divinely justified entitlement created and still sustains a sea of injustice. So let us share a prayer and share a breath of meditation before we begin. Mindful of our espoused principles, let us find a way to embody them more fully 
to discard habits of mind that do not serve justice. And let us open our hearts to learn from our indigenous relatives with respect for self and other and the earth, our mother. Let us find a way to give thanks for the interdependent web of all existence. Aloha. So I guess we're here to reflect on Thanksgiving, uh, the United States holiday of Thanksgiving uh, as it's celebrated here. Um, yeah, as I said earlier, uh, for Wampanoag people, we have 13 Thanksgivings a year. So there's, you know, this idea that when friction comes up or um, when something becomes a point of contention, oftentimes it's it's uh, squished down and made two-dimensional. The idea that we think that Thanksgiving is somehow not okay, it's not exactly the truth. Uh, for us, we feel that the world should be more thankful for what is given to us from this world itself. You know, we are often thankless uh, and treat the world as if it's um, supposed to give us everything without anything in return. And this is not the native way of understanding the world. We understand that the world is all living. Everything has a right to its life. Everything has a right to exist and has a right to be able to continue to exist. Uh, and we have to reciprocate. If we take something, we have to give back. And that's what giving thanks is about. So for us, each cycle of the moon, 13 times a year, we would have a Thanksgiving instead of a one in November. Uh, so we have to examine just as the turkey is a myth and they probably ate duck. Uh, and just as this concept that uh, what we celebrate is somehow from time immemorial or from the founding of this country, uh, we have to examine the actual histories of these things and what they represent and what they instill in us as a culture and as a people. Uh, and it's not simply about being thankful for and grateful for what we're given this mythology that that we look at the the truth of the the events you know there's a, a boatload of people from europe that no wanted to live no longer want to live under english rule and english law and they thought that they would be able to come and enjoy freedom by crossing an ocean um and when they got here they wanted to impose some of the same styles of oppression, same systems of oppression onto the people who were here minding their own business. There are thousands upon thousands of people living in this land that had lives that were, you know, working on trade or, or, or bringing new life into the world. Um, you know, people were farming, people were fishing, people were, were traveling up and down the coast. This was a vibrant, world with an economy with political alliances and and uh trade networks that was just like any other part of the world um and these folks that showed up and, and incorporated into it uh were different because they intended to stay we had seen travelers come for a long time up and down the coast and they moved on they traded and moved on but these folks intended to stay and one of the things they did was they supplanted the local law with the English law, the very law that they sought to escape. 
they thought to instill here. And we really have a meeting of, of a culture of tolerance and openness and giving on one side and a culture of intolerance and oppression in another. And, and what we should be able to take away from, you know, as, uh, as Nita was stating that this thing of colonization is not simply something that happened in the past, but colonization is an ongoing process, something that continues to happen today. Uh, and, you know, we as Wampanoag people are 400 years into this process of colonization uh, where we're often looked back and celebrated as some of the starting points of this United States American nation, and yet we aren't given the dignity of our own name, and we are still under attack, still under threat of losing our lands today as we speak. We are in court battling against the uh, Department of Interior to try to hold on to the less than 1% of our original territory that we still hold. So this is an ongoing process. It will never end uh, until you, until colonization is done or until uh until we are until we are as the colonized done uh, but everything has a place in this world as we said everything has a right to be in this world and you can't continuously take without giving back as we understood when we gave back our songs to the ducks as we understood when we give the the cornmeal to the water when the herring come up the river as we understand when we offer tobacco when we cut down a tree you have to give back to keep this balance because balance will surely return it's natural law and you can't fight it you can only make it worse by preventing it and putting it off but eventually that balance will return and uh and i hope that we might see a reckoning in the world today to be more thankful to understand that this is an ongoing process of colonization that happens not only to indigenous people, but each and every one of us as human beings, as we're turned into commodities and extracted for this system of, of capitalism and greed and selfishness, where each one of us is supposed to be extracted for the dollar amount that they can get out of our lives instead of the happiness and joy. This myth creates a justification for white supremacy in legal terms where native people are not given full legal right to own and possess and have dignity and be and exist in this world. The idea that we give a meal to allow this new nation to survive and then we are simply supposed to disappear into the ether of history and not have a present and not have a future. And this is the danger of this myth. And this is what we need to end. This idea that we are not entitled to the same human, the same earthly, the same respect and dignity of life that anything should be you know, given, entitled to. And that's what we need to change. We need to be more thankful we need to give thanks on a more regular basis as human beings for the fact that we're given the things that we need to live in this life. And they come from this world. And they're given to all of us as gifts from the creator, just like, just like sunshine. It's not for me alone to hoard and dole out for my benefit. It's given to all of us. And we have to remember that and, and start living by that, that 
all of us are entitled to a place to be in this world. So I hope that we might move forward with some of that attitude and thought in mind, um, that everything has a right and a place to be. Um, and Wampanoag people, Maloney people, Hawaiian people, Filipino people, um, Maasai people are no different uh, than any other people across the world. So thank you for having me and uh, I'll turn it over to the next. And now the words of Lucille Clifton. I am accused of tending the past as if I made it as if I sculpted it with my own hands, I did not. This past was waiting for me when I came. Like a monstrous unnamed baby. And I, with mother's itch, took it to breast and named it history. She is more human now, learning languages every day, remembering faces, dates, and names. When she is strong enough to travel on her own, beware, she will. Rise up. All you warriors of love, all you answers to the prayers of our ancestors from above. I can feel it in my heart. Can you feel it in your blood? I can hear the seventh fire calling us to wake up, wake all up. All nations rise, rise up cause now's your time. We don't have to hide anymore cause now's our time. I join you from my home in Cambridge, Massachusetts, the occupied ancestral lands of the Massachusetts people who lived here for at least 12,000 years before Europeans came. Massachusetts people still live in this area, including the Massachusetts tribe at Ponkapog. I'm Susan Frederick Gray, President of the Unitarian Universalist Association. I'm honored, humbled, and grateful to be here today and to be with this gathered company. Grateful to be gathered across the distance, together virtually, but connected by unseen threads that hold us together in creation. Honored to be a part of this justice convergence and teaching, reframing Thanksgiving. As I begin my message, I want to acknowledge and express gratitude to the Reverend Clyde Grubbs and to Ann Gilmore for their support in researching and helping to craft this message. This truly was a joint effort. This year marks the 50th anniversary of the Day of Mourning tradition when Frank Wamsutta James called upon hundreds of indigenous Americans and allies to gather in Plymouth, Massachusetts and declare Thanksgiving Day a national day of mourning for Native Americans. In 1970, the town of Plymouth sought to celebrate the 350th anniversary of the coming of the Mayflower. Officials reached out to James and asked him to speak 
as a Wampanoag to the gathering. James wrote his speech based on his extensive knowledge of the impact of white settlement on the original people. The organizers asked to see a copy of his remarks and when they read what James was prepared to say, they withdrew their invitation. He did not flatter the invaders or excuse the violence with happy talk and the retelling of a fictional story of a Thanksgiving celebration. Instead, he wrote, History wants us to believe that the Indian was a savage, illiterate, uncivilized animal. A history that was written by an organized, disciplined people to expose us as an unorganized and undisciplined entity. Two distinctly different cultures met. One thought they must control life. The other believed that life was to be enjoyed because nature decreed it. James, who was of course insulted by the rejection, called for a protest, articulating that the day should be called a day of mourning for Native Americans. The demonstration garnered national attention to the growing movement of Native peoples that was making itself known across the country with actions such as the occupation of Alcatraz, the founding of the American Indian Movement, and a few years later, a march across the United States to Washington, DC to protest the treatment of the, of the original people. James's censored speech ended with an acknowledgement that even after 350 years of colonization, Wampanoags and other indigenous peoples have kept their spirit and their determination to continue their identities, their communities, and their cultures. He saw that anniversary of the Pilgrim's arrival as a new beginning for the rising of the American Indian, particularly the Wampanoag, to regain the position in this country that is rightfully ours. Those were his words. The National Day of Mourning protest in Plymouth continues to this day now led by James's son, Munanam James, and the group that Wamsutta James founded in 1970, the United American Indians of New England. This year also marks the 400th anniversary of the landing of the pilgrims in Plymouth, the 400th anniversary of the arrival of colonizers, which resulted in the enslavement, forced removal, and genocide of millions of indigenous people. As Unitarian Universalists, we have been examining and wrestling with this historic and theological legacy of which we are a part. Many UU congregations in New England can trace their lineage directly back to those early settler communities that had a role in the attempted genocide of native communities. I can trace my own ancestry back to the Mayflower settlers. We must be honest that our own Unitarian Universalism has been shaped by and steeped in colonialism and the practices of domination since its beginning. Yes, there is something deeply life-giving and liberating about our theology that says we are part of one great family of all souls, that our destiny as humanity is bound together and that no one is outside the circle of God's love. No one is outside the circle of the creator's love of the web of life. 
However, we continue to fail to live into the fullness of this liberating vision. In part, this is because of the limits of our early forebears and the culture and constructs of our tradition. Our early forebears who understood their faith within the context of Christian and European supremacy. We often describe white, we often describe, what we often describe as white supremacy is a manifestation of the Christian supremacy codified in the late 1400s by papal bull known as the doctrine of discovery. The doctrine of discovery established that any land not occupied by Christians was available to be discovered and claimed in the name of Christendom. It established that the people of these discovered lands, pagans, non-Christians, savages, as they were called, were to be enslaved and conquered. It posited that indigenous people did not have souls, were not part of the human family. It was this doctrine that formed the foundation for the European conquest of much of the globe, including Turtle Island, the Americas. It also formed the foundation of the United States legal code when it came to indigenous people and their land rights. And it continues to this day to support the ongoing theft and exploitation of indigenous land and violations of indigenous sovereignty. Early Unitarian Universalists understood themselves and their faith within this framework of Christian supremacy. So the faith that we today hold so dear, including the universalism that we so proudly proclaim, did not recognize nor include indigenous people. Today, we still have work to do to free ourselves from the spiritual corruption of these notions of supremacy, domination, and exceptionalism. They continue to operate in our culture, in our congregations, in our own selves. These notions of supremacy, domination, exceptionalism, they feed the continuation of practices and policies that marginalize, denigrate, and exploit people and the planet and our mother earth. They are the foundation of the persistent dehumanizing attacks in our society against indigenous people and against black people, people of color, migrants and immigrants, transgender people, gay, lesbian and bisexual people, disabled people and women. None of us, none of us, no one is unharmed by these narratives. No one is unscathed from these systems of domination, even as the impacts are very different depending on the identities we hold. Fundamentally, these narratives have the effect of separating us from one another and from our common humanity and our interdependence. And not our interdependence, not just with one another as human beings, but our interdependence with creation and life itself. The narratives of domination, of supremacy, they separate us from the beauty, the love and the fullness of this truth of our creation. And so our work is both to make visible these systems, make visible how they operate and to, and to dismantle these narratives and practices, beginning with how they live 
in ourselves. If we are truly to be about the work of liberation and justice, love and compassion, then this is our work. And an important piece of this work is examining and debunking the Thanksgiving myth and owning our own religious tradition's role in its creation. In David Silverman's essay, Mourning in America, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, Mourning in America, from the book, This Land is Their Land, Silverman traces the history of the holiday. While the Wampanoags celebrated many seasonal Thanksgivings, as Hartman Dietz shared with us, to celebrate the earth's bounty and the creator's many gifts, the first thanksgivings observed by the pilgrims and the Puritans focused on days of fasting and prayer to thank God for the plagues that had wiped out an enormous number, a huge percentage of the indigenous population in many villages. Those early Puritans and pilgrims created thanksgiving celebrations following battles. Um, following battles that wiped out populations of indigenous people, including the Wampanoag people in Paktuxik, which is now called Plymouth. Thanksgivings were also de were declared again and again to celebrate the slaughter of indigenous people, such as the Pequot massacre in 1637. It matters that we know this history. Now, eventually colonial New Englanders began to celebrate each spring and autumn with days of Thanksgiving. These celebrations, particularly the autumn ones, eventually spread to other areas in the 1800s. None of these celebrations were associated with pilgrims or with indigenous people. The first time this association was made was in 1841 when New England-born Unitarian minister, the Reverend Alexander Young, published Pilgrim leader Edward Will, uh, Winslow's only known primary source account of the 1621 Pilgrim and Wampanoag gathering in Plymouth. So Edward Winslow's primary source account consisted of only four lines. However, the Reverend Young added a footnote to the paragraph stating that, quote, this was the first Thanksgiving the harvest festival of New England. And so the myth began. The holiday we've come to know as Thanksgiving was formally created during the Civil War in 1863, expressing gratitude for the victory of the Union Army at Gettysburg. Abraham Lincoln declared that the fourth Thursday of November should be held as a national day of Thanksgiving. He believed it would foster unity amid the horrors of war. Silverman goes on to show how over time the association of our national holiday of Thanksgiving with the 1621 friendly gathering of the pilgrims and Wampanoags served to minimize and erase any national recognition of the centuries of violence and subjugation of indigenous people across this continent and minimize the long-standing history of violent enslavement and subjugation of black people casting, and these are his words, the so-called Black and Indian problems as Southern and Western exceptions to an otherwise inspiring national heritage. I invite us to hear those words again, the so-called Black and Indian problems as Southern and Western exceptions to an otherwise inspiring national heritage. And to hear those as Unitarian Universalists 
whose faith grew in New England, separating our tradition from this history of the attempted erasure of indigenous people and the theft of their lands. That is the culture in which our faith grew. Friends, we are in a season of turning. We are in a season of change. We are in a time marked by tremendous heartbreak and loss with this pandemic, with the conditions of our planet. And yet, I continue to be inspired by all the ways that Unitarian Universalists like you are actively showing up and willing to deeply examine the complicity of our nation's story and hiding the truth and brutality of the conquest of peoples and lands that have been the foundation of the United States history, have been a part of our own history as Unitarian Universalists and continue to be a part of the continued perpetuation of racial and caste-like systems of hierarchy and domination being willing to grapple and know and name this truth and imagine a way forward separate from these narratives of domination is the path to liberation. May we keep doing this work to dismantle these myths and offer a bolder, more powerful yes, yes to the gift of life. Yes to the miracle and abundance of creation. Yes to our responsibility as siblings to the human family and as members of this creation. Yes, to the larger liberating change that is possible within us and within our faith communities and that is critical for our future. And so on this day, let us take a moment and be grateful. To be grateful in a genuine manner. Let us be grateful and let our gratitude flow from our deep and ongoing commitment to justice, to equity and to peace. Let our gratitude grow from the beauty and the abundance of the earth and the miracle of life. Let our gratitude grow from the opportunities that we have to be together authentically, whether virtually or in person, in the fullness of our humanity. And may we continue to grow our capacity for courage and compassion, for solidarity and justice, for liberation and for humility within ourselves, within our communities, and beyond. This is the work that I give thanks for this day. May it be so, and blessed be.
Eagle Poem by Joy Harjo. To pray, you open your whole self to sky, to earth, to sun, to moon, to one whole voice that is you. And you know there is more that you can't see, can't hear, can't know, except in moments steadily growing and in languages that aren't always sound, but other circles of motion. Like Eagle that Sunday morning over Salt River, circled in blue sky, in wind, swept our hearts clean with sacred wings. We see you, see ourselves and know that we must take the utmost care and kindness in all things. Breathe in, knowing we are made of all this and breathe, knowing we are truly blessed because we were born and die soon within a true circle of motion, like eagle rounding out the morning inside us. We pray that it will be done in beauty, in beauty. May this benediction be both an ending and a beginning. I invite you now as you leave this online space to do so with an open heart, an open spirit, and a readiness to listen, to pray. Listen with your heart, listen with your body, listen to your spirit and your intuition, follow it. Follow it and for a time, put away your phone, your computer, your worries, your heartache. Follow it to an open door or a comfy perch by an open window. Take this time to disconnect from the technical and industrial world and to connect with the earth, the spirits and the oneness of all life. May this benediction be both an ending and beginning. May the spirit and the truth that has moved you during this worship service continue to be with you throughout this day and week ahead. And may it spark for you a sacred sense of synergy and flow like a current you can float in, that you may experience the feeling of oneness with all nations and all life that you may feel the energy of the breeze, the rain, or the snow, or the birds, the plants, the animals, the earth, the spirits, and the ancestors. In your own way, or in the cultural traditions of your people, make an offering of gratitude to the earth and to these spirits. You are part of them and they are part of you. Go now in gentleness, in openness, in humility, in prayer. <laughs>